Hey everyone, welcome to the BME Grad Podcast. This week we have Ted Benson on. He's here to talk about interviewing tips specifically for BME grads going into industry. Ted has decades of experience at biotech startups and large pharma companies. In those roles, he has also been a hiring manager multiple times. He now works at Corralling Chaos in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina, a company he co-founded, which is a consulting firm that helps companies with improving and strengthening culture, talent retention, productivity, and developing leaders. Ted was recently a speaker at the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences Biomedical Career Symposium, presenting Successful Biotech and Pharma Interviewing, Tips from a Hiring Manager. We'll have him on our podcast this week to talk about just that. Welcome, Ted. Thanks for being here. And I am super excited to be here, Allie and Grace. Thank you so much for having me. And and of course, thanks in absentia to uh, Preston for introducing us. So, Ted, you've been a hiring manager. I mean, you've interviewed yourself, obviously, a bunch of times throughout your your career. And you said you've been a hiring manager plenty of times. And you give lots of talks on interview tips. So I guess what inspired you to take what you learned you know, through action and and build up these presentations on it? Like, is it a passion of yours to kind of like spread this knowledge? Where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, part of it is that I've always enjoyed interviewing, which is a strange and sick thing to say, but it's it's actually true. I've always enjoyed the opportunity to meet people. I I like doing that just in general. Uh, So you can tell I'm dealing with the pandemic exceptionally well. Um, But yeah, I I love meeting people, getting to know them, hearing their stories. Uh, And interviewing is a chance to do that. Uh, and it's also a chance to talk about the things I enjoy doing and the things that I want to do. Um, and so I've always considered interviewing a fun kind of thing to do. And, and, you know, if you've gotten past the vast majority of applicants to get to the interview, you actually should be reasonably psyched. Okay. I know it's a nervous thing. It's a high stakes kind of a thing that we don't always do every day. But biochemically, neurochemically, the difference between anxiety and excitement is very small. So if you're feeling anxious, just tell yourself you're actually excited. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of bogus, but it's totally true. You can look it up. I'm not making this up and you don't have to go into obscure corners of the internet. There's actually good uh, 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 behavioral biochemistry on this that says that if you're nervous about something, you actually can convince yourself you're actually excited about it. And so maybe that's part of it for me is that I've always enjoyed interviewing. The other thing that's driven me to this is, is I've interviewed people who are so incredibly uncomfortable and I could see how tense they were. And I felt so bad for them, right? I felt so bad for them because they're in a space that they're not familiar with. You're having to prove yourself. It's an evaluative kind of format. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable, right? And, and, and that's not unreasonable. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to think. And then on top of that, you had the fact that many of us in the sciences um, are really analytical and really thoughtful and really um, capable human beings that were not necessarily comfortable presenting ourselves. We're not really comfortable talking about ourselves. We may be fairly introverted. And introverts are super powered when it comes to thought and and, 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 and thinking things through and being totally. analytical. Absolutely. They're amazing. But they tend not to do so well in interviews, which is terribly unfair, right? You have this incredible set of abilities and you can't showcase it in any way. So again, that's another reason why I try to do this. I try to help people lower the activation energy a little little chemistry thing for you there. Uh, lower the activation energy to help you do better in these kinds of situations. And then finally, uh, from my own personal experience, you know, I've, I, I, I've, I've been in situations where 
um, I abruptly uh, was, was doing great in a job. In fact, my favorite story to tell is one job where I was promoted. I got a bonus. I got a, a, a performance award. And it was awesome. And then uh, about oh God, six months later, my wife and I discovered we were having our second child. It was really exciting. A Sunday night, we looked at the, the little blue thing and we're like, oh my gosh, we're going to have another kid. We had toddler. We're going to have a second <laughs> baby. That's awesome. And I go into work on Monday morning and the IT guy looked like hell. And I said, uh, what's going on, man? Bad, bad technical weekend. He goes, no. I can't. I had to copy everything off off onto an external servers. I said, everything? I said, yeah, everything. I said, why? He said, I can't. And so there was an immediate announcement, all hands meeting at 10 a.m. Everybody gets called in, and the site had with tears in his eyes says, everybody, your last day is Friday. The entire, the entire site? 35 people out. Wow. We were wow. done. The company that had bought us a couple of years earlier decided they no longer wanted to maintain the site, and so they let us all go. So... I then had a good sleepless week there as I thought about all that I had to do. And right. I, luckily, I, I was incredibly lucky. I'll be very blunt with you. Literally the next day after that, uh, that layoff, we got word that some people would come through. On that Thursday, a guy came in who I had worked with before at that company, and he came up to me. He came in the door. He brought two guys with him who were principals in another startup. This was my first mm-hmm. startup. He comes in with these two other guys from this, and he says, the three of us are starting up a company, and I want you to be the first scientist hired. Boom, everything resolved. But I've never forgotten that sense of how, 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 how really mind-bogglingly difficult it can be to be in a situation where you really need to find a job very quickly. And mm-hmm. so that empathy, that sense of, of, of seeing people you know, rise in interviews and of thinking, oh, gosh, I've always enjoyed interviewing. Maybe there's something I can do to help. And so that's the, all three of those really are, are, are what combine together to help motivate me to help other people get through this process because it is unfamiliar for most people. We don't do it every day. It's high stakes. So, Hey, if I can help. Awesome. Right. And I mean, as, as a recent grad, I'm only like two years out, but I remember that same feeling. It was like, from a financial perspective, it was like, as soon as I graduate, I need to immediately start like supporting myself. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's nice to hear that it comes from that place of of empathy for people. You kind of have to manage your anxiety and the other pressures you have, mm-hmm. um, but still kind of portray that you're excited, which can be difficult to manage. So I'm, I'm interested to get a bit into this conversation. So I guess like from that perspective of seeming excited rather than anxious, um, how do you make a positive and memorable impression on your interviewer? Is there certain uh, characteristics, body language? Um, we've already talked about bringing that excited energy or at least, you know, trying to convince yourself you are. Uh, yeah. So um, I think the way to answer that is to, is, is I'm going to go high level here for a second. Sure. Okay. So I'm going to go high level here for, for a moment and, and talk about the purpose of an interview, the actual purpose of an interview, the meaning of an interview, what it's about. Uh, yes, there is a component there about, you know, understanding that, you know, you have the right technical skills. That's, that's the ability side. But there are two other pieces that figure into this. And this is based on, on the, uh, the work of a gentleman who's now in the business school, uh, the pool school of management over at NC State, uh, who in the 1990s came out with a paper uh, where he evaluated various aspects of, of, tr- of, of, of uh, what was essentially trust. And that actually is the high level purpose of an interview. It's to generate trust. You want to be trusted by them. They want to feel like they, they, they can count on you if they give you that, that job offer, right? That you're going to be able to get the job done, whatever that job may be. 
At the same time, you want to see that they're the right place for you to be. It's, it should be a two-way street, ideally. I know sometimes it's not, but ideally it's a two-way street. In order to generate trust, they need to feel three things from you. Ability, benevolence, and integrity. Ability is, are you the person that your CV, your resume seems to say that you are? Did you, do you actually know how to do those set of skills, whatever those are? And that's the hard skills piece. That's really important, right? But you notice that two of the other three, two of the three, two thirds are not hard skills. They're soft skills. They're benevolence and integrity. Are you a person of good intent who's going to get the work done and do it the right way? Why is that? Because you don't want to hire somebody who doesn't have the skills, right? Because they can't do the job. You don't want to hire somebody who doesn't have integrity because they're not going to do it the right way. And the benevolence piece is important because why are they doing the work? Are they trying to, to do good things or are they just in it for themselves, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So I have a question, I guess, from a skills perspective, I think as a recent grad, you have some skills, right? You have your education, sure. but I think the biggest thing you have is like problem solving ability as an engineer mm -hmm. and um, potential because you yes. really don't have that much experience at that point. So how do you portray that you have the ability or, or I don't remember the word you said, skills? Abil ability, Ab benevolence, and integrity. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. How do you portray so, the so, ability when you're, you really just have potential at that stage? So one of the best things to do in an interview as you interview someone, particularly someone who does not have a lot of job experience, is to ask them to tell you a story. This is called behavioral interviewing. So for example, I might say to Grace, if she's interviewing with me, Grace, tell me about a time when you, and that's a lead into giving her the chance to tell a story about something that she's happened in her past that is analogous to, in some way, the position or the situation for which she's interviewing. And again, if it's done right, you're going to generate trust because you're demonstrating ability, benevolence, and integrity in the answer you gave. So, Grace, tell me about a time when you, 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 uh, you came into a situation where uh, people in a group were not cooperating well uh, and, and therefore the project wasn't working. And now Grace has the opportunity to give this talk 30 seconds long about, oh yeah, I came into this one group, man, oh, they just, everything was off the rails. There were these two people who were fighting with each other all the time. I discovered that the, the key was I could sit down and talk to one of them at a time. And by talking to the one at a time, I figured out what the real issue was. And then I was able to get, to get them to agree on this uh, a resolution. And then we carried it through and we succeeded. That's what you call a star story. And it's a star story. I didn't make up the term, but they, they, there's two reasons for this. Star, because you're the star of the story. And STAR because it stands for situation, task, action, results. You wanna have these all ready to go. Typical interview questions, you can look those up online and you can come up with STAR story answers for them. An example of a time when you saved a project uh, from going down the drain. An example of a time when you solved a, a, a personal conflict on the team. An example of a time when you led a team. Each of those examples can be a singular STAR story. Condense it to just a couple of sentences and then you can give that quick answer to a behavioral question. And then they can ask you, really, that's, that's amazing, Grace. You came into the situation and you had the, the, the wisdom to pull these people aside and speak to them individually. That's really cool. How did you learn that skill? They can find out more as they ask you. And then that can all be spontaneous because it is coming from your genuine experience. And again, because each of these situations allows you to solve a problem, you're demonstrating that problem solving ability in the context in which you're framing it. And ideally you've made up a few of these in advance so that you can think of how to apply them. And of course, another tip here, practice, Hook, connect with somebody who's, who's on this call or, or find a friend and do some virtual interviewing practice that's invaluable. 
And they can ask you some questions where you can actually use your, you can write these on flashcards if you want. You can read them right off until you get comfortable saying it. The key component here is when you give those stories, you're the star, you're giving them a run through the situation, task, action, result, and then they can, they can dig in some more. They can find out more about this amazing thing that Grace did. Something I like to do with these, I, I didn't know this acronym. I think I heard it once because now it sounds familiar, but I never, I never like used it in this way, but I've mm. done the same thing, prepped these stories about myself. Uh -huh. And I try to pick stories that I can use to answer multiple questions. Sure. Um, like a story that kind of, I can twist into the answer of a couple different questions. It showcases mm -hmm. a couple different qualities about myself. Mm -hmm. Are there any types of stories that you think have that um, versatility? So again, um, if you're interviewing, particularly as a young person interviewing for a technical position, you're probably interviewing for a, a relatively specific skill set they're looking for, right? And you should know that in advance. In addition to which, anything that's specified in the job description, uh, specific skill sets, have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? Uh, you should be prepared to answer some kind of question along that, that, that those lines. Uh, you probably at the level you're at, you're not being asked to give a chalk talk, but that's always good to be get prepared. And the best way to prepare for it is to do it. Like say, okay, what would a chalk talk be for this particular interview? Uh, maybe it's about, uh, um, I don't know, some kind of medical device or something like that. What experience do you have that's relevant? And then if you could chalk talk that out on your own, then you can do it on the fly. As in like using a chalkboard? Is that what you're well, saying? <laughs> what that, is, that's where what the is chalk comes talk? From. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I, I apologize. Yeah. So it is old school. Uh, chalk, <laughs> for those of you who may not know, were small white objects. Of we only ever had smart boards. I don't <laughs> I know bet. what chalk is. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet. I'll bet. Exactly. So a chalk talk is, it would be literally with a chalkboard. And yeah. nowadays, nowadays online, you would just be expected to say it, right? You're not necessarily diagramming, although there are tools within Zoom and other things that you can whiteboard some stuff. Okay. Out. So you mean like getting the weeds about the technical yeah. bits of your experience. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if you think that's relevant to your position where, you know, let's say you've done a particular bit of engineering that is relevant to the position you're interviewing for, then yes, absolutely. You should be prepared to give a very short chalk talk. Now, notice what I just said there. Very short. So you should be able to diagram or explain what you're talking about in you know a, a, just a 30 second sound bite. And then if they want to go deeper, they can. And you can always close your sound bite by saying, does that make sense? Is that clear? Or uh, do you want any more information about that? Or I'm happy to go into more detail if you want. Totally. So, so going off of that, what are some common failures of STEM grads uh, for interviewees that we should be avoiding? Yeah, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Because now I get to criticize everyone on the call. And, and you um, stereotype us at the same time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you tend to be very socially awkward. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. That's not true at all. I've met some incredibly charming people in the sciences and some completely uncharming people outside. Um, I think probably, I'm trying to decide how, how, how best to answer this. I, I think, and I don't, I don't mean to be inaccurate or vague here, but I think there's an um, overwhelming sense of, I have to prove myself technically. And, and you do have to prove yourself technically, right? That's one of those three things I mentioned. That is the, the ability. You've got to say, yes, I can do X, or to, 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 to paraphrase what Ali is saying, you have to show that you have analogous experience, right? So you might not have engineered a particular solution in one animal, but you've done it in a different animal, right? So let's say they're looking for somebody to work with dogs and you've worked with rabbits and you know there's, there's an analogous piece that, that you can pull out as part of your store, star story. It really is about helping them feel that they can trust you. And yes, that is done largely in a transactional sense of, oh yes, this person can do X and I need them to do X, therefore I trust them. 
but there's a, a bigger piece there. And, and so this gets back to some of the, um, what I'd like to, to, to call um, the tricks of, of, of online interviewing, if I can go in that space for just a moment. Mm -hmm. um, don't assume that you're going to carry the interview well just because you can talk a good game around your science, right? The chalk talk, et cetera, et cetera, whiteboard talk, whatever. You should make this visually appealing to them. You want that camera to be level with the top of your eyes. You want to be back far enough so that they can see your, your head and your shoulders. You want to be facing straight on and the camera facing straight on to you. So it's not shooting up your nose or down your eyebrows or whatever. At the same time, you want to have a light source that is in front of your camera, right? So sort of behind your camera, shining on you, right? And then when you, if you do use your hands, you use them close into you. You're not doing this kind of thing, right? I would also add, um, check your microphone with a friend before you start. Especially if it's rubbing on your shirt. I heard that the first time. <laughs> but, but also, um, you know, I've been, I've been in situations where it's really unfortunate. You can't hear the candidate right. and, yes. and it just, there's not too much you can do about it. So that's yep. a good thing to remember to prep as well. Absolutely right. You want good light source. You want good sound quality. Absolutely right, Allie. And, and the other piece is, uh, you know, have, 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 your, uh, have your backup plan, you know, at the beginning of the talk. Oh, if we get disconnected, what do we do, right? Just, just have that up front. But so, so that's another trick is, mm. and when you are doing that, giving you that rundown for how you're going to do this video interview, uh, look at the camera. Okay, especially if it's a panel interview, there's lots of people. I could look a little below it. That's okay. Most of these things are designed so they can take that. And the other piece is, and I would strongly recommend if you're not comfortable doing these, to write this on a little sticky note and put it next to your camera. S-M-I-L-E. Okay, <laughs> it's not natural to smile at your computer. If you're smiling at your computer on a regular basis, there's something a little weird going on. Okay, <laughs> but when you're in a video conference, you should smile. And here's the fun thing about that. If I smile, my mind associates my muscles of smiling with being happy. And so it actually improves my mood and makes me happier and friendlier. At the same time, there's a social reciprocity piece here that occurs that is subconscious, uh, as well as sometimes conscious, that will make you happier as well and would probably provoke a smile on your side, which then reinforces that and makes you even happier, right? So that little unnatural aspect of smiling at a computer you're actually smiling at them and they're seeing that and that's making it much more engaging and much more positive for them. They enjoy it more. They feel more comfortable. It builds trust. Win, 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 win. I think this is kind of getting at the thing of like um, students, these are good tips for anyone on a virtual interview, but like, yep. I think students coming into their first professional environment, mm -hmm. there's a couple of um, different ways you posture yourself and mm -hmm. the way you are attentive is very different than you might've been, you know, in your sweatpants in class. So sure. um, I For think sure. this is all kind of getting at that presentation and accountability yep. and um, eagerness that you're portraying in an interview. I so also, another, um, oh go yeah, ahead. go ahead. Well, uh, really quickly, dress the part, okay? When you're in an interview, dress like you're in an interview. Uh, you know, maybe it's a technical position, that's fine. And here's, there's two reasons why. One, again, you're projecting an image, right? You're projecting an image. What is the, the role that you're trying to, to fulfill in this interview? You're projecting an image. Two, there's psychological evidence, uh, significant psychological evidence out there that says that when you dress nicely, your behavior changes. Dan Ariely at Duke did a great experiment where he gave people white smocks, okay? In one group, they did this little exercise in... in um, uh, uh, precision work. So they had to do something very precise. No smocks. Next group, here's a painter's smock. Go ahead and do the thing. Next group, here's a doctor's coat. Go ahead and do the thing. 
It was the exact same coat. The people who perceived it as a painter's smock had no change over baseline in how well they did. The people who perceived themselves as wearing a doctor's coat did substantially better. So how we, we dress ourselves, how we carry ourselves actually influences how people perceive us and how we actually behave ourselves. Going off of that, you know, make a good impression on Zoom or virtually uh, as much as you can, all of these elements. What are some other things that interviewers look for in the times when you have been an interviewer and been in the final stages of deciding what did those candidates have in common? Well, clearly they have the technical chops, right? And in principle, and, and I know I, I, I have to harp on this because in principle, if you don't have the technical chops, you're not in the room. Right, you don't get the interview unless that submission, that application, is plausible. Right, and so in principle, the interview is about confirming that you do in fact have the ability, that the technical chops that you purport to have for the role, and it's also a way of demonstrating that you're a good person to work with. I could imagine working with Grace. I could imagine talking with her. Um, one of the questions I asked, and I'm not saying you're ever going to run into this question again. But one of the questions I like to ask uh, in interviews is, um, tell me about uh, uh, something you've done. This is a star story intro. Tell me about something you've done that you're really proud of, some work that, you re that you're really proud of, you're really pleased with. It's a great positive thing. It tends to calm people down. It tends to like relax them because they're talking about something positive. And so it, it, it's just much, much nicer. And then, and then I like to twist it. After they've told me the answer, I like to twist it and say, what was, what was the one thing about that that you wish you could have changed? Or what was it that you didn't like about that? Because that's gonna give me an insight as well. So being able to articulate clearly, uh, you know, what it is you're, you're, you're trying to bring to the table uh, in a positive way is really, really powerful. Uh, does, does that answer your question, Grace, or do you need a little more, a little more sussing out on that? I think you could use a little bit more sussing out. Yeah, go, so, for it, go for it. So, okay, obviously, you know, like being, you know, interesting and like having your star stories and everything prepped mm -hmm. along those lines, are there any specific traits in candidates? And obviously this depends on the job role, but are there any specific traits in candidates that you see uh, all of them are showing? Like the one, the ones that get the job. What are those? What are those traits that? I was going to tell you the ones the who didn't, but okay, all right. Fine. We'll go with the <laughs> uh, fundamentally, yes, they've got the ability up front. Two, there's someone I can imagine working with, and three, there's someone I can imagine the other people in the group working with. Right? Those are really important characteristics. Uniformly, Grace, I will tell you that when I have done interviews, almost across the board. Um, there's always, you know, you might have three or four people come in for the interview. Uh, always there's like one or two who kind of just come to the top. And it's because of not just their ability, but their, 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 their like ability. And I don't mean that in a superficial way. There's somebody I can imagine working next to. There's somebody I can imagine, you know, working with and supervising them or working with them in a more peer-to-peer -peer relationship. Uh, in particular, when I have interviewed people and I want to make sure that they're going to work well with me, I got to know they're going to work with my team. Because if I have six people who are working well together as a team, if I am the guy, and this is something that a lot of people don't understand about hiring managers. Hiring managers are under some pressure too in this situation. If you're a hiring manager, you don't want to hire the false positive, right? If you, fire, if you hire the false positive, by which I mean someone who looks good, but they're not, you hire a false positive, that can be catastrophic for your team. So I want to make sure they can work well with my team. So Grace, to answer your question, 
The three continuations, again, work well with me, work well with my team, have the ability. I can see them fitting into this whole group and executing really well, cheek to jowl with everybody else on my team, because I don't want to torpedo the success of the great people I have already. I think um, a personal antidote, that is how I got my current role, is that I was not the most technical savvy, but I was the one that fit in with the work culture the best. Um, So for other students, just know like you have potential. You may not be the most technically skilled applicant or the most qualified applicant, but you have to be able to show that you can work well in a team. Absolutely. I want to switch gears a little bit. Part of the interview process, um, not only they're evaluating how you fit in with their company values and, you know, job needs, but the other part of it is how uh, you're kind of evaluating them at the same time a little bit. Like, is this job right for me? Is this, are the company values right for me? Does it have the right culture? Um, Something the students asked us a couple of weeks ago was how do you evaluate company culture in the interview? That's the fi- that's the time when you finally get to be in person or you know at least face to face with them and get a sense of what um, them and their their group are like. So, are there questions you ask? Are there things you look for to identify if the culture will be a good one for maybe like a new grad or something? So, first of all, Allie, I want to pick up on the on the first part of that the mm-hmm. statement that you made, which is something I strongly agree with. An interview should be a chance for you to evaluate them. A red flag for me would be if you go in and all they do is ask you questions. They never ask you, what questions do you have? A red flag for me would be they don't seem interested in anything but their needs. They're not trying to to tell you about the place. They're just trying to get all the information out of you. It's a one-way conversation. Uh, Those of you who, who may get this, ideally in an interview, you are not bending the knee right? You are not the subservient person there. Yes, there's a power dynamic. You're seeking a job. They're evaluating you, but you should be evaluating them as well. This is not to be harsh. This is not to be uh, terribly judgmental, but it is a little judgmental. Is this the right place for me? Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. I think that's exactly right, Allie. I'm really glad you brought that up. And I would encourage people to think of it that way. The next piece in terms of what you would ask or what you would say to evaluate their culture is a number of different things that, that you could do. One is to say, tell me about what a, a typical day here is actually like, Another, because that should get you some more of the mechanics of the job and, and who talks to who. Uh, another thing would be, and I like to use this question because it's a positive way of, of asking a negative question. If you had a magic wand what, to, to, to make, things, make things amazing around here or to improve something around here, what would that magic wand do? And if they'd say, oh, well, it would, you know, we wouldn't have to do any more emails. Okay, now you know email is a problem, right? Maybe they have some out-of-control communications issues, right? Or you could say, what's the greatest strength of this outfit? What, is, uh, wh- wh- what makes people happy around here? Um, do people get together outside of work here? Are there business relationships that also are somewhat personal, right? Not that there's necessarily best buds, but that people actually socialize in, in some way. That's actually healthy to a degree when individuals are happy enough with their work and happy enough with each other that they, they choose to spend maybe lunch, you know, once a week or whatever together. Uh, now, of course, in the virtual world, it's slightly different. But getting at how they interact with others. One big clue, if you are in a group interview, watch how they treat each other. Specifically, watch how peers treat each other. Watch how peers treat supervisors and how supervisors treat treat those people back. 
if you see clear power dynamics and you see you know people who are arguing with each other, that's a red flag. Another great story. Years ago, I interviewed, it looked like an interesting position. I got the interview, I went in and I'm not making this up. I had maybe six interviews plus a couple of panel interviews and we went out to lunch together and they, they, they finally delivered me at the end of the day to the head of the Institute's office. And the head of the Institute says, oh, come on in, come on in, come on, sit down, sit down. So he says, I've been hearing some good things about you. I've been hearing some promising things. We might want to really uh, bring, you, bring you on board here. Uh, tell me, uh, what are your impressions so far? If you, if you got an offer from us, do you think you'd accept? And I said, no, absolutely not. And he said, what do you mean? I said, every conversation I was in today, people were denigrating each other. They were talking each other down. They were saying, those guys don't know what they're doing. Oh yeah, those guys think they do this. They never get our stuff to us on time. Oh yeah, we put this up for analysis, but it never comes back on time. All these kinds of complaints about each other. The culture was one of complaint, pain, and unhappiness. And I told him all this and he looked at me and he said, I really appreciate knowing all this. And I said, yep, and, and I'm sorry that you don't know this already because that was another red flag. He had no idea that this was the culture that was going on underneath him. It is not uncommon for senior leaders to be somewhat disconnected from the rest of the group, but he had no idea how bad it was. So long story short, ask questions about what's great here? What would you like to see improved? Magic wand questions is the nice way to say that. And then ask what's the actual day-to-day -day day -day experience here? What about sussing out like how they do on diversity, equity, and inclusion types of for initiatives? Sure. Are there questions you ask? Are there things you look for there as well? So one obvious thing is to, um, and, and I, I'm trying to boil this down very simply, look at the composition of the workforce as you're, I mean, again, that's assuming you see a physical workplace and you see people in it, right? In the virtual space, it's different. But if you're actually able to be on site, look around you and see what the workforce looks like, and then look and see what people you know are managers and what they look like, okay? If an organization is roughly, you know, 50-50 male-female, you know, maybe 30 to 40% people of color, you know, that's kind of, you know, perfectly reasonable balance. And then if you look at the managers and it's all old white guys, and I can say this, I'm an old white guy, right? <laughs> I, all old white guys, that is a red flag. Because as I once said, there's a shop I went into, I won't say what company it was, uh, but the very first manager's meeting I attended as a manager, the, the company was like I just described. It was 50% female, roughly. It was about 30, 40% people of color. And in that manager's meeting, there were 75 managers on site. And there were, I think, um, I think there were three women and two people of color, right? And I went to the head of HR immediately after that meeting. And I said, what's going on? I gave her the stats. She goes, yeah, I know that's a problem. I said, either you're not hiring the right people or you're not developing the right people. You're not promoting the right people. You're not growing people internally. And that's a real indictment. So I'm going to shuttle that back to the question about culture. You can always ask about job development opportunities. Be careful how you do it in an interview because you don't want to sound like you just want to race to the next level. Uh, you want to do the job on hand. But if you see a discrepancy between the rank and file demographics and the management demographics, that's a huge red flag, particularly in this day and age. If companies are not deliberately and intentionally doing these things, then they are not doing the right things. Totally. I also think too, it's tough at a small company, right? Because your inter your interview panel, if you have a panel, may not be that diverse because yeah. there might only be a couple people there. But if you're at a larger company too, I would just add your interview panel should be diverse and representative. Um, if it's Absolutely. not, then you know that's another flag too for a bigger company. Totally agree, Alex.
what are questions, you know, at the end they say like, do you have any questions for me? And we've discussed a, a bunch of things to ask right at the end of the call through this call, but are there any questions that, um, maybe we're not thinking about that are really good to ask that give you really good insight either into the job, the company, your role, your manager, maybe. Do you have any thoughts about like good questions to ask at the end? Maybe they yeah. both give you value and reflect positively on you for asking them. So a great thing to say is what's the most exciting part of this job? Mm -hmm. Or what, what is the thing that the, the opportunities that, that excite you the most at this company over the next two to three years? Going at super high level again for a second, the reason a hiring manager is hiring you, there's two basic reasons, either pain or opportunity. They have pain because somebody just left, they need to backfill, right? They're having a problem, they can't get work done, they need to hire somebody. Or opportunity, they're expanding into a new space, they're doing something new, and they want to bring you on board to help flesh that out and make it real, right? So if you're going to ask a question, the best question I can think of to ask is, is you know, hey, what's the thing that most excites you? about this job daily, right? When you come in every morning, what is the thing that makes you come in every morning? Or what is the thing that you think is the biggest opportunity for this, this company or this group uh, going forward uh, in the next year to two years? Um, if you're lucky, they'll say, it's the opportunity to hire you. That would be a great, <laughs> that'd be a dream interview, right? But uh, don't get your expectations too high. Uh, and then the other thing to say is, uh, you know, I'm really interested in this particular place that you're, you're working right now, okay? Maybe it's the job you're hiring and some, some aspect of that. Can you tell me more about what you think that's going to look like? Uh, the other piece that would be fun to ask is, is you know, if you, um, as you see the company changing over the next year or two, what would you most like it to be, right? So again, that's a, a sort of aspirational statement. And then if you want, you can tie it back and say, so which of those things would be, you know, the biggest change? Again, that's a way of, a positive way of getting a kind of negative question in there. Uh, the most important thing is to express with your questions an enthusiasm and an interest in what the company does. For heaven's sake, make sure you know what they do before you go into the interview. <laughs> I mean, you may not know the exact specifics of a particular job or a particular group, but you should know the general thrust of the company's technology. And ideally, you can then ask a question about that. So this company is going into whatever, uh, engineered uh, replacements for, for little fingers. You guys think the pinky market is really big. Uh, <laughs> what's the most exciting aspect of the pinky market for you guys? And you want to hear them say something that's inspiring to you. Something like, there are a lot of great cellists in the world who lose pinkies in terrible kitchen accents. And by restoring those pinkies, we restore their ability to be amazing cello players. I'm making that up, obviously. But my point is, the work should be inspiring to them. The mission, the purpose, the meaning of the work should be inspiring to them. And it should be inspiring to you as well, because we need mission and meaning. Mission and meaning is important. And if you can get at that in your question, they're going to feel cool about it. They're going to know you care about it, and you're going to be able to hear them say that they're excited about their work and why, and decide if that if that is uh, something that is uh, congruent with your own values. Um, so kind of switching gears a little bit here, we have a submitted question from a student who wants to know what experiences or skills stand out to you as a hiring manager on a resume? What you know, you're in, you're in the interview, you're looking at the resume. What are some things that in that interview you see on the resume and you ask them about? Now, is this from a technical perspective, I guess, is my question. Like, or are we just saying in general kind um, of thing? Or maybe we can make the just general. Okay. In general. Yeah. Let's say general. <laughs> so I could give a whole 
discussion just on resumes, but <laughs> so, so so let, let me let me let me put it to you this way. If I see something on a resume that, that makes me want to ask more about that person, I'm definitely much more likely to to you know select them as an interview candidate. And I think what I'm looking for is something beyond just the mere um, and I know this is really squishy and, and difficult and I apologize, but if I get 16 resumes on my desk, or as I once did in a small biotech and I was hiring, uh, I, I got like 60, six zero resumes because we didn't have an HR department. And I had to go, go through these 60 resumes for this one position. Now, imagine yourself, okay? Imagine yourself. So you get real picky really fast in a situation like that. If I'm, I'm looking through these, if I see a typo, I may not come back to it, right? I hate to say it, but I'm just giving you the honest truth. If I have to weed through all these things, I'm looking for reasons to weed them out because I want to get a small subset, right? That mm -hmm. I can then go into deep depth on. And when I get into depth on them, I want to see they've got the ability, I've got those basic things, and they've done something in there that really looks cool. Like, uh, not just they've done this process, they've got this skill, they've done this process, they've got the skill. That's important. You should bullet point those, put those towards the front. But I also want to see, oh, wow. Having used those skills that 16 other people also had, or 60 other people had in common, these guys, this guy did, did this project all by himself. Or, or oh, wow, this, this lady, she, she, she did this project where she led a team of three other peer students to figure out this particular technical issue. Because that, to me, is saying, okay, this is somebody who's really engaged in their work. This is somebody who's really able to put this stuff, you know, put the pedal to the metal, put the rubber on the road, and make things happen. So that kind of stuff jumps out at me. But if I see skill set upfront that matches, good. And then I see, oh, this person led a project or led a team to do this. Now I'm going to be intrigued because now I want to know what exactly did they do? How exactly did they do that? And I'm going to want to talk to them about this. This is somebody who's a go-getter, who can get things done, who can get things accomplished. Because the last thing I want as a manager is to have to hold somebody's hand past the first couple of weeks. I'm fine helping you out on the way in. I want to get you up to speed. I want to onboard you well. And then I want to be able to say, Allie, go nuts <laughs> and just give you what you need. Make sure you know where you're going and get the hell out of your way and let you get your work done. If I have to, if I have to stop in all the time and check on Allie's work, that's a hit on my time and my productivity. I want Allie to be part of the team. I want her to be successful. That's why I'm hiring her. And so if I see that Allie has done this amazing thing in this one area where she just came from, man, that's a big plus. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how you tied like formatting um, and, you know, just like those couple resume entries to like real personality characteristics, like typos is, you know, being thorough and reviewing things, um, having too much on the page. It's about being organized and understanding your audience um, and being concise and being, you know, concision in its own way is like really respectful of people's time because it takes a lot of work to be really concise and to the point. And it's so helpful for your reader. Yes, Allie, and I'm going to cite you to Chip and Dan Heath's book, Made to Stick. Less is more. Mm -hmm. Less is more. Every single person on this call, there could be a novel about their life to date. Every single person on this call has had amazing experiences and incredible relationships. When you're applying for a job, you want to say what it is you want them to know you for. And you want to put it front and center, and you want everything to support that. As somebody who... Um is still very young in my professional career. I don't always know the terminology to explain what I did concisely. Um, and that's why those on-campus resources are really useful. That's why your 
um, alumni network, you know, me, Grace, other people can be useful to you because we can help you discuss your experiences in more industry familiar terms. So I just kind of wanted to like put that note in there that if you need help with that, like um, that concision part and, uh, you know, making it sound sharp, we can, we can help you out with that. Hugely valuable, Allie, hugely valuable. And it's got to be someone who has some technical ability. My very first resume coming out of college, I vetted, I took it over to the, 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 uh, the, uh, with the career counseling office and they sat down and they looked at it and they were saying, okay, let's see, just draw out some stuff that's really interesting. And, oh, wow, you did work on, on an electron microscope. Do you have your own electron microscope? Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't have the technical chops to really help me with the resume. That's a really good <laughs> distinction because um, like the career services on campus has been immensely helpful to me in a lot of ways. Um, but when it does come to like reviewing the specifics of the entries, you are best seeking more technical counsel, which is why I think um, some of those department resources y'all have are really great too. Well, Ted, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. I think we've all learned a great deal kind of brushed up a little bit on our interview skills and familiarity. <laughs> um, I know, like you said, a lot of people get anxious about it. So um, we love turning that anxiety into excitement. Um, you should be excited about those jobs. You know, they would be lucky to have you guys. Um, so thank you so much for chatting with us. I, I think listeners are going to get real value out of, out of this episode in particular. Um, we fit a bunch of, we've been accumulating questions for months now, and we got a bunch of those in with, with really great answers from somebody who's had a lot of experience in this. So yeah, thanks Ted for, for coming on. Very, very happy to be with you. I, again, I'm going to reemphasize what I said earlier. If you get to an interview, you've gotten past the vast majority of applicants for that position. Take it in that context. You have gotten past most of the other applicants. You are someone they want to like. They want to like you. They want to go, yes, this is the person we're hiring. And that's going to help them feel really confident in their decision. So good luck. Have fun. Make it a positive thing. The BME Grad Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For more information on the BME Grad Podcast, visit bme.unc.edu. Right now, you can find that information under the News and Events tab. If you can, please subscribe or follow and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.